an amazing gift, a byproduct, a positive side effect to going to fish concerts is I've become friends with a lot of new people, Mm -hmm. people that are inside the gates, people that are outside the gates, people that are maybe lyricists, people who have developed sub communities within our community when they saw a need and they said, we need to do something for charity. We need to do something for technology. We need to do something for, you know, maybe some people that feel alone. We're getting so much. Let's give. Right. Exactly. And uh, in, in doing this project, not only listening to old interviews that I did, but I set out to talk to a bunch of people. And one of them uh, is someone who we're both friendly with and I'm very honored to be a friend with, Tom Marshall, the lyricist for fish and the uh, head man of the band amphibian mm-hmm. and the host of under the scales podcast on the osiris network honestly and frankly speaking it's surreal to know tom and to you know consider him a friend at this point and hearing his um his stories through under the scales and it's you know it's such an introspective time for everybody looking back as we're doing here at decades of of this band um hearing his stories are remarkable and and you, you, you uncorked a whole bunch of these stories recently in your conversation with him. And, uh, you know, I'm so excited we get to share some of those today. And, and one of them that really stuck out to me um, is about Trey's drive early on and, and protection of uh, his, his money makers, his hands. Listen to this. <laughs> And uh, he also had like a, a fanatical uh, protection of his hands thing going on. I think he knew he was going to be a guitarist uh, and he knew he was going to derive his income from guitar. And so weird, weird stories abound about Trey, like getting angry if you, you know, disrespect his hands in any way. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> do you remember when, do you remember when George Costanza was a, a hand model? Oh, yeah. He was walking yeah. around yeah. with oven mitts. <laughs> that's almost what Trey was, was like. That's just that gets me. And what um, what's <laughs> Did it, what's you it? see him? <laughs> yeah, you know, like someone shaking his hand too yeah. hard. You just look the look After he'll a give couple up. beers. Yeah. He's like, whoa, 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 easy. You know, that. I, I I sat prior to doing the interview and thought hard about the things that I was dying to know all these years. Sometimes you know this feeling when you're at the show and you're sort of staring at the crowd or staring at the band, and they're in the middle of some jam and your mind just starts to wander and you go, I kind of wonder if they knew all along that they were going to be this big. Mm. Was this something that they saw? And it's weird to be able to kind of think about these questions and ask a best friend like Tom, because really he's, he's the fifth member of the band. Yeah. He's Robert Hunter. Mm-hmm. He's Bernie Taupin. You yeah. know, he, he, he put the words to the music yeah. and they put the music to his words. Yep. Yeah. And the, his view of it all is so wild yeah. to be able to experience. And so much of the eccentric nature of the band that we're so compelled to is through his words and the stories he told. But what, what I find is so amazing at this point is also to see how relatable Tom is. I mean, he's also such a passionate music fan. I mean, oh, yeah. He's, he's in the crowd with us. He's, he's going to these shows all the time. That, that's when I catch up with him now and, you know, say what's up is, is when he's out there watching it with it. And, and, and there's really this, you know, to show how much of a passionate fan he is. I mean, that story he told about being at the Steely Dan concert. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's we have to share that. One of my favorite bands is Steely Dan. Me too. And um, I got my friend uh, Ryan got um, obstructed view seats for a show and complained about it. And as a 
to return to, to make up for it, they gave him two front row seats to see Steely Dan at the Beacon. And he took me knowing that I love Steely Dan. Right. And unfortunately, I had, I think, seven shots of tequila prior. And so it wasn't that I was disliking it. It was that I was over liking it. And, I, and I'm tall. And I stood up after, and I was sitting right in front of Donald Fagan. Yep. And I stood up after every song and I was saying something like, wonderful, with, and clapping with my hands over my head, like way too much and yelling at him, wonderful, wonderful. I don't know why. And uh, after like three of those, he finally just went, okay, okay. And kind of like shushed me. In oh my God. Yeah. And, uh, and I said to my friend, Ryan, am I being a douche? And he goes, yes. I mean, he just, he loves it. And he's he a abs- tall dude. Yep, yep. So it's, it's. Yeah, he stands know. out. It's not. It's not hard to um, to uh, find Tom no. at a show. It, but have you been at shows with him? No, I've never done a show. I know you have. We've we've hung out in the lot a couple times, and it's so neat to be. We're bullshitting about SPF because of uh, it, the sun's beating down us on us in the Camden parking lot, or we're talking about what beer we tried at Tonewood Brewing. That's you know I'm drinking the the Rift, and he's drinking whatever, and and you see somebody behind him kind of nervously taking a deep breath and being like, Oh geez, like how do I say thank you to Tom? And they finally come over and they're like meekly like, excuse me, Tom, like, I don't want to bother you, but I just wanted to, your words changed my, and he's like, Oh dude, it's totally cool. Like, thanks a lot. And it is totally cool. I I was at an Osiris event with him. Um, I think it was at Tonewood Brewery. Yeah. He took the time instead of those people nervously walking around, he was actually walking around to people and just like, Hey, I'm Tom. Yeah. You know, taking that step out of it for people. And you could just see him brighten the room totally that way, which is amazing. He's, I mean, but he's one of us. He, he gets so excited to see this band. I mean, he literally still gets butterflies when they, you know, come on stage and when he watches them. When you're in the in the crowd and you're and they come on stage, do you get those butterflies f- for for them? Definitely. Um, Camden night three, this last tour, they open with um, Camelock, and that opening the beginning is just like goosebumps like whatever they're doing mike and trey and and page it's just it's beautiful and i remember like my daughter next to me and my wife on the other side like the hair really standing up on my arm like wow i haven't had that in a while yeah because <laughs> it was so good and then the rest of that concert it was the best. just kept going yeah it was amazing beautiful show my favorite of the tour me too can you imagine writing the lyrics to a song and then watching that song grow yeah. Over time and be able to stand there and sort of look around and see 20, 30, 85,000 people going completely ape shit. Yeah, that was probably the most compelling thing in your conversation to me is when you guys discussed about his whole role and the whole thing and, you know, him hearing Fish bring his lyrics to life for the first time. And then you talked about him watching fans see his lyrics at shows. Can you describe the feeling when your lyrics are matched with a tune and you hear it live for the first time? The feeling is complex and is probably simple answer. No, I cannot. But, uh, <laughs> but I will tell you my song birth cycle observation over okay. the years. Um, and so as a lyricist, I see my poems my song creations have three distinct births. The first one is when I write it down, right? It co- goes from my head to becoming a thing. Yeah. So that's birth number one. Um, and then the second birth is when that becomes a song. So like I either give those lyrics to Trey and he writes a song from it, or he and I write a song together, or I come up with a, you know, a tune for it on the piano, 
or whatever. And that's, um, so that's the, now that becomes the, the song demo, as we call them. So that's been born. Uh, so now that, that project that I started from my head now has been born twice. And then the third birth is if that demo becomes a fish song and they put it on an album or play it live. So by the time a new tune is played, We've been with it for some time, yeah. you know, nursed it through two lives and into a third. <laughs> so I'm usually aching to hear it by the time, you know, by the time I see it and, and to, I'm very excited to hear if people receive it well. And, and, and when you have that feeling of, you know, there are songs that you have written that have been with the band for, you know, decades now and you see people, that's their song. Yeah. And that's an amazing And the thing. release that they have, and you're in the crowd. Yeah. Now, let's say there's one that, you know, pick any of them, and they, you know, play it, and you look around. What is that feeling like for you? Oh, geez. Um, there was a period where I was sort of self-conscious about songs, whether people are extremely liking them that I've written or extremely possibly not. Like, I always sort of, for a while, felt like eyes on me or something in a way, but... I don't now. I'm just like another audience member and I've gotten over any sort of like issue like that. But I will say it's amazing. Like, you know, waste is, is one I always think about where it's just generally loved. And so many people have come up to me and told me they use it as their wedding song, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, that never gets old or bouncing around the room, hearing every single person in there singing it as it's, as it's, you know, that, and I woke that, fills a room with volume because you know you have to sing loud to hit that note yeah and it's loud always and it's just you know again goosebumps yeah it's, that's it's awesome it's fascinating and equally fascinating I, you um you know you were talking about that we we're talking about him watching them and you were asking like does he ever get nervous because fish take all these chances and you know the you know sometimes when you take chances you fall and you were just i think you were going in that direction but when you asked him if he got nervous I mean, I was super surprised where he took that uh, answer to that question. When, does he get nervous when he watches the band? Now, n- not really. I mean, I think I was er- nervous earlier, and you know what I'm talking about, because it, it kind of felt like something was going to be taken from us artificially. Yeah. And, I mean, that can always happen if there's a disaster or something. But this was a preventable thing that all of a sudden... Like I felt like my friend was going to be taken from me or the band was going to be taken from me yeah. for, for no real good reason. And uh, so then I was very nervous. Now I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, and I know most of my friends and Trey's family and everyone is like a big sigh kind of, of relief. And I don't think anyone's nervous anymore. And you know, it's weird is I didn't even mean that. I knew you weren't, you weren't going in that direction at all. No, but I, then it was one of those questions where it was very like apropos that Again, like every fish song, is there really a right answer? Mm. The the answer was right because that's where it went at that moment. And I think we were all nervous that it was going to end there. We all didn't see where it was going. I kind of was blown away with, you know, Tom has this interesting perspective that only a couple, the dude of life, uh, a couple of people who maybe work with the fish organization, that he's seen it all from the beginning. And I kind of wondered, what was it like prior to, did they, know, did they envision looking out at a festival and seeing all these people? Did they know deep down, there are certain people who have that inherent, they're going to be a superstar. 
they're going to be the biggest thing in the world. And then there's people who kind of just stumble into it. And I wondered if Tom saw that in Trey or if Trey saw that in Trey. You know, we go, we go so far back where we go to like eighth grade where we started really writing. <clears throat> and I got to say, all throughout that, Trey definitely had, you know, incredibly obsessed with like Jimmy Page and was incredibly obsessed with uh, like Dwayne Allman um, and uh, Eric Clapton and really, I think, saw himself. Oh, and Jerry Garcia, of course, and definitely saw himself in their role on stage, whereas I never, ever did. But I was happy to kind of do all I could to propel him to his next project, which was as far as I could see. But he definitely did things like... um, I remember going downstairs in his basement. Uh, This was after we met after our first year of college. We both got kicked out of our schools and wound up at uh, Mercer Mercer County Community College in New Jersey. And um, we built a recording studio in his dad's basement. So it was like an open door policy, and I would just go there every day when I could. And I knocked on the door one day, and there was nothing, uh, no answer. And so I went in the basement door, and Trey didn't know I was there. And I happened to walk around the corner and saw him bouncing bouncing with a guitar, with his headphones on. I couldn't hear what he was playing. Um, and full, uh, he was playing also full volume um, along with whatever he was listening to. And he, his, by the way, his hair was down to his ass at this point. <laughs> and his red, <laughs> stringy, unwashed hair. Uh, and he was doing a full bounce, which is like akin to what we see them do now in You Enjoy Myself. Oh, wow. Uh, up and down in the mirror two time as he was playing. And so this was like, you know, first year out of college before Fish had really even hit. He already knew that he wanted to do that on stage. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine like popping in and seeing as a comic when I first started out, I used to walk around in my bedroom and practice crowd work to no crowd, like anticipating answers. And I would point to and I recorded it on video and I would watch it back. And it was the most painful, disgusting practice in the world. And you see these YouTube videos of like people stare, you know, singing into their phones and it's like, yeah. But imagine walking in and seeing Trey bouncing up and down on a trampoline with his like hair down to his ass and whatever. He just always had, and look at how many years later, the work ethic. This band that just keeps reinventing themselves and leaving it and saying, okay, well, we were this this year. What are we going to be next year? Yeah. Phenomenal. I mean, there's that uh, great moment in between me and my mind with him and his father. And his father's like, you know, it's really, it's so heartwarming. I was just getting kind of worked up thinking about it. He was just saying, you know, I always knew, I think there was a show in Boston where he went to, where there was, you know, it was one of the first big shows and there's a lot of people outside. And he's like, I knew you were going to be successful then. But then he's like, I didn't know about this whole, you know, selling out the garden. Like, I didn't know it was going to get like this. But <laughs> it was pretty just, wild, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, how do you really foresee it coming to this? And just so, it's so special you know, going back and looking at those moments when it was just all fun and it was all it was all in front of them. What I've had the privilege of doing with this project too is going back and listening to some old tapes that I recorded on the road with my friends at Big Cypress. It's peppered throughout this project. It was kind of wild to think about how in 1999, 85,000 people headed to you know Florida, and in 2017. The garden gets sold out for 13 nights. And for everything in between, there's so much happening. And these guys have always figured out a way to keep it new and different. And going back to our first chat, you and I, 
there's something peculiar about this band and there's something peculiar about the fans and there's something peculiar about everybody that we've had the chance to meet and interact with in between. And I think that's kind of the neat part. We're all a little bit, we're all a couple degrees off. Yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really have time for people in my life who aren't a little bit eccentric and fun. That's what it's all about. And, you know, just thinking about, you know, these, these older stories of Tom and, and just about, you know, his concern about Trey, it just, it all comes back to in hindsight of these 20 years, 25 years, 30 years of what we're talking about is I just feel lucky over mm-hmm. and over again. And, and that luck kind of just goes back to how lucky it is to be part of this bigger community. And it's a special community. And one of the things that's so special about this community is that we talked about how, you know, you get so much from being part, just, you know, making friends, enjoying the music and everything, but it also gives back so much. Yeah, totally. And I think we really need to get into some of these arms of the community that are giving back. And I'm talking about Waterwheel, I'm talking about Mockingbird, um, Safe Dancing Initiative, Funky Bitches. I mean, let's start with Waterwheel. That's, I mean, what a, what a special organization that is. That came around, you know, in 97. Um, and that oversees the band's charitable foundations. It's a... Uh, and I love how the way I describe it is they're kind of like our good cop to our bad cop. You know, we come into town and they have a local initiative, which is a big deal. It's a local focus, focus where they, where they, you know, have a division that attempts to raise funds for pre-selected nonprofits in each community fish visits. Yeah, when we come to town, it's a lot. It's a burden. On yeah, the of community. course. <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, we made the news summer nineteen. Yeah. Because of nitrous balloons and nitrous tanks in Boston. Put the balloon in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> or let's invent a recyclable <laughs> balloon. If we could make a balloon right. that's made out of uh, turtle food. Yep. I'm all for no, it. Exactly. It's uh, some organic balloon. But so they're, I mean, they're doing something for each community as you're going through. The Torn Division has donated $1 million to more than 425 groups in cities that uh, fish visits. And there's a huge focus. I'm a bit of a tree hugger environmentalist myself, a huge focus on clean water and land conservation. And you know what? They, 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 they make us look good. And we can always do our part and donate. And if you go into the venue prior to going to your seats, there are tables set up where there's enough literature and enough knowledge and very rare posters and rare T-shirts and various different things that you could buy. And all the proceeds do go to all those great initiatives that you had mentioned. I recorded a comedy album live in Burlington that's available on iTunes, quick plug. <laughs> but I donated a dollar from every ticket sold for four sold out shows to Waterwheel. And then I donated some proceeds from the the CD sales. Absolutely. (laughs) So yes, they do have a table set up in there and uh, there's a whole bunch of tables set up in there. There's, there's, you know, one of those has, um, this this one's important. It's incredibly important. This is the fellowship. Um, So summer 19, I'm thinking about this project and I'm looking around the venue and sort of taking notes and stuff. And I noticed there are a, cu- a couple people at this table where there's one yellow balloon, there's a jug of candy, and there's some smiling, welcoming faces standing there. Um, I mean, this is something that started with the Grateful Dead and the Wharf Rats, but the Fellowship is a group of fish heads who choose to remain drug and alcohol free at the show. And they're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other sober fan group. They're not even really affiliated with fish. They're supported by the band for sure. In fact, Roger, who is one of the proud members of the fellowship spoke about this when I had the chance to speak with him. Just starting with 
the whole idea of a yellow balloon, the Wharf Rats. They they put that on in the 80s. The Grateful Dead shows. Uh, the lore or the story goes that it was just a random balloon pulled out of a bag, that it was a yellow one. Um, I think most of us think that, hey, that's a bright color. It's easy to see, especially if it's kind of being flown up in the air or whatever. But um, So yellow is just like this synonymous color with this, with this community and this lifestyle um, as we have multiple, multiple clean soda followings for multiple bands and groups now, and all of us use a yellow balloon for that. So, you know, early on, um, rolling through a show, if you saw someone that had a yellow one show at a time sticker, um, you immediately kind of felt safe. You know, like we kind of see that as like, uh, you know, wearing like a little shield at a show, if you will. Um, so, you know, and, and that sticker has taken off so popular now that everyone at the show wants to grab one and see one show at a time. So now we've got a, a new challenge to, to deal with. But, but, you know, seeing a table at a show, um, it's, it's an instant source of comfort. Um, it's a place that I know, and, and our little moniker is that it's a, it's a place of traction in a slippery environment. It's truly so important. Um, I have a friend who's in recovery, and recently, um, uh, last fall it was, we were at the Nashville show, and he was nervous about going to his first fish show uh, since he, you know, cleaned up. And the first thing he did, he's like, Mike, I'll catch you in a minute. He went to the table and just, you know, he, he met with people and talked to him a little bit and came back. And it meant a lot to him that that was there. Of and course. It's, it's a big deal. They neither condemn or condone. It's it's truly just there for support and information. And one of the things I think so great is, like, they talk a lot about how uh, the music, you know, it's, it's so intertwined in drug culture and, and in a negative light sometimes. And I think it's a knock to the music that people assume that it's necessary to be on something to enjoy this music. That's not the case. And, and Roger does talk about how, you know, it's something I agree fully with. It's special enough as is. Well, it's a day and night different experience. Um, and, and real quick on that note, I, I know a lot of people that do partake. Um, but due to just due to the power of fish and the vibe that they pick up, they also don't like to use any substance that shows. I think that's a real testament to fish and like our love for the music is, you know, I know a lot of people that they'll, they won't start drinking until they get out in the parking lot after the show. Um, they yeah. want to experience the music for what it is. They want to remember it, so on and so forth. And it's also the first question that you get from anyone who knows nothing about fish. Yep. So are you tripping at every show? And it's like, no. I eventually go to a place, yes. but it's because of the music. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's so important that that particular community is there, uh, the fellowship. I, I think about so many people who you watch overdo it, and you watch collapse, and you watch drop, and then they have to come back. I know people who have given up going to shows because yeah, like you said had, with your friend they've quit fish because they've had to quit drugs and it's it's it and doesn't need to be to. it doesn't need to be the case the band is sober yep trey's 13 years sober the yep. guys are i mean it's it's I, I mean we've talked about it before you and i mm-hmm. off mic that whether you're driving to the next show or whatever there's reasons to stay sober yep you don't have to be messed up and at it's the shows. still it's still just as special yeah no the fellowship does amazing amazing work um too 
Who else does amazing work? Is the Mockingbird Foundation. Mockingbird Foundation is another fun organization that Scott Marks, who we had the pleasure to chat with and, and watch, write down stats in his notebook at shows, has become a very integral part of. And started in 96, they provide funds for music education for children. In Obviously, you know, we all know budgets get cut. And sometimes music is the first thing that gets cut, and Mockingbird is uh, ready to fight that initiative. Well, recently they um, they stepped in. Uh, there was a fire in Clement, Florida, um, that just burned down um, the entire band's equipment, and so they stepped in there and 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 you know provided musical instruments for for the school. And that's these are the things they do. It's amazing. This is our traveling town. This is our community. This is our city. Let's make it better. Just like there's beautification of a local town green wherever you're from in anywhere USA, our town green keeps moving from city to city. So we want to keep the lot clean. We want to keep people feeling safe dancing. That's one that it has recently... I think the the safe dancing initiative and, and group safe and everything like that, I think it's so important. Let's be honest. Not everybody who goes to shows is a good person. That's yeah. just That's just the deal. But... This we're we're celebrating this amazing experience that you have at shows these days, and it I think it's so important that everybody feels safe to have that experience. It, it's such a magical moment you can have, but not if you feel unsafe. It's so benevolent out there. I mean, funky bitches. I always see them at their table. They're uh, you know they they have this. I think it's called the Anchor Program, uh, where they're giving out condoms, tampons, earplugs, band-aids, and at a show. I mean, they know that people are moving around town to town, and you know necessities. Uh, you know there are things you need. Just these common life things, and you know they got their back on on that. You know they're also educating men about women's issues and just kind of. Uh, facilitating con- contact between women is interested in music at all levels. I mean, that's another great group. Yeah, of course. And there's fans for racial equality, which promotes racial equity and respect for difference within the fish and the greater jam band community. This has been sort of looked at as a predominantly white male scene. And <laughs> you uh, don't say. Yeah, and it's uh, it doesn't have to be, and nope. it's never been purposely sought after. I mean, it's open to anybody anywhere. And of course, if people feel unwelcome, let's do whatever we can to make them feel welcome. And that's just yet another arm of the scene that develops within the scene. Another organization that I'm extremely excited to talk about, and it does an important service, not just at fish shows, but at concerts everywhere, is Headcount. When you're walking around the parking lot, you see volunteers walking around registering voters registering music fans across all genres concert goers to vote both locally and federally and it's a fantastic idea and a fantastic opportunity to hit an entire group of people all in one shot and they stay politically neutral which is really cool andy a very good friend and a huge linchpin in our community had the chance to uh, chat about their initiative well, we register voters at concerts and work with musicians to encourage civic participation. And that can be voting, that can be uh, being active in your community. We organize things in the music world like Participation Row, which is a kind of activism, shakedown street kind of thing. And we have volunteers all over the country, 30,000 volunteers, and um, all working toward this goal of just uh, making sure that the music community is represented at the polls and, and in the world. 
The amazing thing that they're doing is just promoting democracy on a whole. And I mean, I can't think of anything else that we need more than right now than just some good old fashioned democracy. And they're they're truly I see them everywhere. I go to a lot of concerts throughout New York, and they're just any genre. They're out there, and you know they're they're reeling people in, and it's amazing. But with regards to fish, I mean, Andy talks about how um, the, the band's involvement and just the band's thoughts on headcount. It goes back to two thousand four when we started. Uh, in two thousand four at Bonnaroo, we film public service announcements that ended up airing on network TV and Trey was in them as were the dead and Dave Matthews. And, um, you know, we've had many interactions with Trey in particular over the years, as well as Fishman and Mike, uh, have all been very supportive. Paige is kind of like, we was never like pushed hard for Paige because he sort of is, he just kind of stays out of those things and we respect that. And as a fish fan and someone who wrote a book about fish, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of the vibe of the individual band members and really try to meet them where they are. Yeah. And, um, you know, Trey himself is very, very private about his politics and um, really stays away from anything that is not uniting. And this is, I'm paraphrasing things he's said many times, but one of the things that he recognizes that voting is something that everyone can do. And the idea of democracy is not dividing. It is uniting. Yes. And, um, you know, whereas Fishman is obviously very, very political. And uh, we just got an invite from Breyer, his wife, to come to the Union Town Fair, which is an agricultural fair in his hometown that they're very involved with. And we're going to be registering voters there, which is exciting as That's a guest wonderful. of the Fishmans. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways. And we found with Fish over the years, we really want to, we don't apply the standard headcount playbook to Fish. Um, it, we, we try to do creative things. So with, um, with like Baker's Dozen, we did a, a really fun uh, photo booth at every MSG show. And we had like actually cutouts of Fishman and Gordon um, holding up signs that say vote local. And um, people could take pictures with the cutouts. We had a, uh, a vacuum cleaner cutout and all these things that were very fish. And then um, we... Uh, uh, recent years, we did a, um, a, a box of tea with celestial seasonings where the um, art on the tea was done by Pollock and it was uh, ginseng Sullivan tea and kind of had the, the lyrics of ginseng Sullivan represented in the art and gave those out at Dick's. So we, we've, we've tried to really give back to the fish community and do fun things. And that's, that's one thing we know about the fish world. And it is an older crowd at this point. It's a crowd where most of the fans are registered or never will be. Um, so we really try to connect on a community level with the fish scene. And still um, a ton of our volunteers are fish fans and, and a ton aren't. And um, that's really cool. Just as cool as meeting Tom Marshall, somebody who maybe isn't on stage but who created an element of the scene. Uh, I got the chance to like get to know David Welker, who created so much iconic artwork for Fish, including the Rift cover art, and uh, had a chance to chat with him. In fact, here's him explaining how he even got to know Fish in the first place. Hmm. Um, this was at a time when, you know, they were getting fan mail in a shoebox. 
you know, the Doniak Chevice. Yes. You yes. know, and, you know, so I... That was how I used to order my tickets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Missed those days. And, you know, Mike's corner and Mike, you know, taking the time out to respond to people's, you and know, fishes questions. And, and, yeah, all yeah. this stuff. It was fun. It was great. So, you know, I said, yeah, you know, I'd love to work on this project with you. I said... Where, where, you know, where are you? And he said, yeah, we're up at, you know, we're in the studio in, in Vermont. I said, I'll drive up there tomorrow. And he said, yeah, come up. Wow. So I got in the car with my girlfriend at the time and we drove up to Burlington. We got out of the car. We walked into the studio. I looked and I saw the shoe, the shoe box full of fan mail, you know, and I saw my postcards in there and I was just thinking, wow, you know, Looking back, how accessible they accessible they were at the time to right. be able to work with them instead of working with the management now or this huge management, you know, this huge monster organization that they are. Right. Yeah. Still a family, but still big. You know, um, looking back, that's an interesting moment, you know, and they came, they all wandered out of the studio uh, and, you know, um, we put our eyes on each other, you know, just sort of checking each other out. And, you know, it, it was just this, this funny moment, you know, uh, where they were, they were done recording for the day. I just made the long drive. They said, let's go have some spaghetti. <laughs> Took us to a restaurant, you know. Um, we just talked about, you know, life and, and what it was like for them touring. And, you know, we talked a little bit about my art. And we didn't make any great decisions that day, but we had spaghetti. And, Can't you know, that. I made, you know, put my eyeballs on them, um, you know, and... You know, sort of, I think we sort of just, you know, had that moment to connect in person. Sure. And that meant a lot. And that is literally just a tip of a fascinating iceberg that, uh, quick plug you can hear on Amigos podcast with Mike Fenoya on the Osiris Network. It, it, it's just surreal. The yeah, way that, that whole interview is really, really worth a go. There's a, an amazing story about actually the visuals of uh, Rift, like who his inspiration for the person was, which I thought was great. I'm not going to spoil that at Secret all. Secret lyrics. Uh, there's an amazing uh, section about Mike Gordon in Mound that, that must be heard. Yeah, check that out. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's just yet another you know, arm on the octopus of this community that's mm. super exciting, super entertaining, and, and once again... Motivated by the music, yeah. It's 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 not just about what happens on stage. It's really, and, I, and you know, I mentioned it, but it's this this aspect of the community and, and just all these creative minds and, and artists. It's it's really inspiring, and, and it makes me proud to be a part of. Yeah, and you know what? We've done a lot of talk about everything but the music. I think it's time we go Let's deep into inside. the music. Let's get inside the show. All right, tuck your pants into your socks, kids. It's time to get radical. Now, please proceed to chapter four. Thank you. 